Has your fuse box gone haywire? Is your water pressure too weak? Or maybe your boiler needs an upgrade? They don't last forever, you know. Well, the good news is that there's a local hero in Dublin for that. So if a block sink is not helping with Wednesday's hump day, take the hassle out of it with localheroes.ie. Our online service connects you with trusted tradespeople in your area and all work comes with a 12-month guarantee backed by Borgosh Energy. Try it out while listening to your podcast. You could get a quote in minutes at localheroes.ie. TNCs apply. Visit localheroes.ie for full details. In case you missed us, 2020 with Sean Defoe on News Talk. Hello and welcome to part two of News Talk's look back on the year that was 2020. I'm Sean Defoe, and if you missed the first part, you can listen back on the News Talk website or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Over the next hour, we'll be looking back at some of the biggest moments of the year. When we left off last week, then Tisha Leo Varadkar was walking away from the podium on the steps of government buildings, having announced an unprecedented national lockdown. People couldn't travel further than two kilometres from their homes, and lockdown had begun. In the immediate aftermath, News Talk's Casey O'Reardon was dispatched to the shops where panic buying had ensued. Oh my God, it's something else. It's the queues are right down to the end, right to the fridges, and you can't even get up an aisle to get your stuff. You have to leave your stuff and go down and come back up. I think it's worse than Christmas. You can say that again, Yeah, definitely. people are panicking out there, in there. It's jam-packed. You can't move can't around the shop. The you can't get down the baby. You can't get down any of the aisles. Trolleys full of stuff. <laughs> So did you end up doing a shop? No, put everything back and just the came whole out. The queue was a shop. Oh, yeah. the whole shop was a the, queue. It's all the way around. You'd be hours in there, you'd never get over. How would you describe the scenes in there at the moment? It's madness, it's madness, it's mad. I think people are going crazy. Are you not also going crazy? You have lots of toilet paper there. Yeah, lots of toilet paper because I've none at home, but yeah, sure look. And how would you describe, I suppose, the, the mood in there? Well, there's, there's people standing there with like napkins in, in their faces and covering themselves with scarves and stuff and, you know, like I don't think it would help much anyway, so... How long did it take you to get your shot? Uh, probably an hour. An hour to queue? Yeah. What yeah. About, did you kind of venture out today to get supplies because yeah. of the announcement? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I came out to get supplies just to have everything in and sort of, if I need to, to I won't have to sort of go back into shops. You went in to do a shop and then didn't bother? No. Why? The queue was bleeding down the back of the shop. I'm in centre. I'm at the, the queue is miles. No, no, you'd be longer away in the, in the queue than doing your whole shop. Like, it's right down and then around. It's ridiculous. Towards, like, really Towards the ridiculous. milk. And then when I see the queue, I was like, oh, Jesus, I'm gone. As the restrictions took hold, almost 600,000 people lost their jobs and the human toll continued to tell in cases, lives and livelihoods. Cases took root in nursing homes in particular, along with meat plants and other settings where social distancing was difficult to achieve. As the case numbers and the death toll rose, funeral director in Cavan, Colm Kieran, told the hard shoulder of the toll it was taking. One of the images that will be born into my head from for years will be the scene that I saw as a, a a gentleman in his 80s buried his wife and normally all his nieces and nephews and family members immediately after a burial would all come and console him and have a chat to him and doing quite normal things that we're all used to seeing and doing 
after a funeral and instead this gentleman was very concerned about his own safety and turned around at the graveside and held his hands up immediately after the ceremony to kind of indicate that everybody should stay back from him and I saw a scene at that stage that I'd never seen before where the people who surround him just didn't know how to react to that and got very upset by the fact that they couldn't come up and console him and what would have been quite a normal and, and I mean that in inverted commas a normal funeral scenario became very upsetting and distressing for everyone involved so what we did in that scenario is that we, we had a guard of honour instead as the gentleman moved from the cemetery to his car as a show of some formality, some routine, some rite of passage that indicated that that family were there for them. They didn't know what to do otherwise and it seems like that that will always, that will remain with me for the rest of my days. As the weeks began to tick away and two weeks became four, which became six, people began to realise that for now at least, lockdown was the new normal. But people also began to find workarounds to the restrictions, as Henry McKean found out when visiting a pub in Cabra. Ah, Richard, that sound of a pint being poured, you can't beat it. No, you can't, no. Everybody's giving out, saying they can't get a proper pint. I can see why. Uh, Richard, we've jumped in the car, uh, we've driven um, not too far, we're in the heart of Cabra, uh, you've got the pints there and you're going to give them to this customer. Billy Scully. Billy, having a fresh pint, how does it feel? It's, it's brilliant, keeps us kind of socialising, I'll go out the back now and the next door neighbour will have one of these with me. And it's great having Grangers of Handling's Corner, keeping us all socialising and, and looking after their customers so well, for food as well, it, it's brilliant, it's keeping us all going during these uh, seriously hard times. Google's top search data showed that people were also getting creative with their drinks at home, with strawberry, daiquiris and margaritas the most searched for. But not everyone was impressed. Unfortunately, you're giving foreigners the correct perception of Irish people that drink is the priority. Like you asking me when the pubs will be open. Big deal, who cares if the pubs never open? Only the drinkers and the pub owners want the pubs open. So you think the majority of the public, of the people, don't care about the pubs? They don't, they don't see it as a priority? They don't care, Way down the list. They don't care about the pubs. And that's, and they're, anyway, they're stuck against each other. They're only drunken men, men who don't give their wives the money. They spend their days in the pub. You think that? Yes, yes. I, 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 I come from the town. And you ask me, when do I think the pub should be open? Who cares? Instead of turning to the drink, many people turn to streaming services like Netflix, Now TV and Disney Plus, all seeing record numbers of subscribers this year. But a number of shows in particular had the entire country watching through lockdown as people fell in love with Connell and Marianne. You know, um, you were saying the other day that you like me. But by the photocopier, you said it. Yeah. Yeah. Did you mean like as a friend or what? No. Not just as a friend. Yeah, I, I thought that might be implied. I just wasn't sure. <clears throat> See, I'm just a little confused about what I feel. I think uh, it'd be awkward in school if something happened with us. No one would have to know. Sports fans relive the heyday of Michael Jordan in the 90s. You guys not allowed? No, I'm just kidding. What time is it? My mentality was to go out and win at any cost. 
Jordan is the most talented player in the NBA by far. The show of the 90s, the team of the 90s. How you feeling? Whenever they speak Michael Jordan, they should speak Scotty Pippen. We created an image that people want to live up to. I think that's all you can hope for. And we were introduced to lockdown's strangest character, the Tiger King. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Joe Exotic, and this is Sarge. They have a heart and a soul and a mind. I've learned from them. But Carol Baskin hates saying, I can't have these tigers. If he ever had an enemy in his life, it was Carol Baskin. Hey, all you cool cats and kittens, it's Carol at Big Cat Rescue. Carol is the Mother Teresa of cats. We will end the private possession of these cats. This is my way of living, and nobody's going to tell me any otherwise. But between episodes of Tiger King, trying out banana bread recipes, Zoom quizzes and monotonous walks within two kilometres of your house, Henry McKean revealed the nation was also turning to another pastime when he spoke to Robert Doyle from Play Blue in Kilkenny. There was that old Irish view that whatever sex toys were, you know, perverted in some way. But I can guarantee you there's not one single person in this country who couldn't find something that they'd like on an adult toy store. There is something there for everyone, and people have, be, have had the time and the space to, to do a bit of research and find it, you know, and that's definitely something that we found because the selection of toys that people have bought has, have rocketed up as well. It's not, it used to be a kind of a, people would buy the similar toys all the time, but we've found the strangest toys have been sold over lockdown, so it's been great. It's obviously been discovery for everyone, you know. We've had a percentage increase of about 177% in sales, which is huge. This is comparison to the same time last year, but it's across the board. I mean, for it, our biggest category now is women. It's 58% of our sales are women, which is, again, a big increase on last year. Last year, it would have been very much a 50-50 split, but, um, but we've seen sales right across the board. Actually, the only category that's actually dropped for us is probably 18 to 20, 20, 24 year olds that's hardly moved at all which is kind of surprising really I guess they're busy playing Xbox or something I don't know As the weeks of lockdown wore on it became clear that the entire year was going to be upended having initially said the leaving search would be able to go ahead Education Minister Joe McHugh appeared on the hard shoulder with Ivan Yates to announce a U-turn and that the exams would be replaced by calculated grades after long discussions the, the suggestion that was coming from all those voices, uh, which culminated in the meeting on Wednesday of this week, that they couldn't see how they could stand over uh, a safely run uh, leaving cert with the welfare of students at the heart of it. So that that was a big, big ind- indication that if you don't have the education stakeholders with you, you have to then look seriously at the contingency, contingency plan. And to be honest, David, like it's not perfect. Um, calculated gra- grades is not a perfect system. We've never had it in this country before. Uh, we're going to be operating a completely new administrative authority within... Labour's Aon O'Reardon also joined Ivan to express a concern that lots of people had about calculated grades. And a big issue we have in the Labour Party is this suggested uh, issue of school profiling. And yes, no matter well, what I, 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 I don't know if you heard the Minister, but I couldn't get a I straight did, answer. Because I, I think I this discriminates against Desh schools. Well, it absolutely does, because effectively it's like, like we have an unequal education system, as most people will know. It reflects our, a society that is unequal. Those who have means can send their kids to fee-paying schools, they can get grinds, and they can live in a world where they can have 
legal recourse to the courts if things don't go their way. And there's other students who don't have that. We have students going to school that don't offer higher level subjects. I remember substitute teaching in a school where a, a student by herself was teaching herself honours maths because there was no honours maths teacher in the school. That's the type of determination that often young people have in disadvantaged schools to break out of poverty, to break out of disadvantage because the Leaving Cert offers them that, offers them that because it's the one thing that is transparent. It's the one thing that most people actually trust. But you wouldn't have a football match between two sides where the referee is worried actually about litigation and then to say to one side when they score a goal, actually, do you know something? You haven't scored a goal in the last six matches, so there's obviously something wrong with the goal that you've scored. And that's effectively what the minister is doing here now. He's, he's saying that in any context that a student gets a leaving cert, that the context of the school in which they come from, the school in which they, in which they have been learning in, the, the community in which they come from, and the context of, of the results of that school over the last number of years are going to play a role. Gradually, the number of new cases began to fall and the country cycled through the phases of the government's roadmap for reopening. On the 8th of June, most shops across the country reopened their doors for the first time in months and the travel limit was extended to 20 kilometres, which meant that Henry McKean could get to the reopened pennies on Henry Street in Dublin. Why do you love pennies? I don't. I actually don't. Cheap and cheerful. <laughs> yeah, I actually don't. But normally, it was just because it was close and there was so much we needed decorating a holiday and a new baby so so what did you buy stuff to decorate rooms clothes for the new baby so soft furnishings and yeah. baby clothes baby clothes and holiday clothes yeah since last night yeah. since last night, last night. Yeah. yeah and yeah. they're brilliant now the social distancing inside now it's brilliant there's no hassle around isn't that no, no hassle no. it's very good very good you've just come out of pennies what did you buy so I just topped up on pajamas and like yeah. jeans and all. So tops to go with jeans. So did you say you hopped up on pajamas? Yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> um, I just needed a new pajamas, fresh pair, you know. You needed a fresh pair. Yeah. <laughs> and what did you buy? I bought the same pajamas, jeans, denim jackets now, new new sandals for the summer. And what do you love about pennies? Um, it's the very, price. Yeah, the price and it's very up to the style and. Yeah, it's very good. And did you miss it over the last three months? Yeah, 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 definitely. (laughs) And the queue, people were queuing up all night long. Was it worth it? It was grand, yeah. We came in early, so I'd say the earlier he kind of came in, it was kind of worth it because we're in quicker. At this stage, months into a national pandemic and even longer since the general election, Ireland still did not have a government. Despite a record election, Sinn Féin's chances of power had long since fallen by the wayside and in the first week of May, Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil and the Greens began the difficult work of negotiating a programme for government. Seven weeks later, the resulting document was put to the memberships of the three parties who had to vote on whether or not to enter an historic grand coalition. Did a full 180, crazy, in total, 674 votes were received in Fine Gael Special Delegate Conference, which represents a turnout of 95%. The overall result is, yes, in favour of approving the programme for government, 80%. No, against programme for government, 20%. We've chosen this route. It has many challenges. I do not understate Uh, the gravity of the situation facing the country. But on the other hand, I think it's also a moment of opportunity and a moment of hope uh, for our people. There is a sense of responsibility on us now because we do have a job to do. 
We have to go in and help work with our coalition partners and government in actually getting our country out of a really severe economic crisis. And we commit to doing that, to doing everything we can. There's work to be done and we're the ones to try and help make it happen. And so we hit a milestone in Irish political history as Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil cast off 100 years of civil war politics. Leinster House is too small to host all 160 TDs while allowing for social distancing. So 20 weeks to the day since the general election, TDs crossed the Liffey to Dublin's convention centre, where Fine Gael TDs stood up one by one to vote for a Fianna Fáil Taoiseach. Minister Michael Creed. Ta. Minister Pascal Donoghue. Ta. Minister Heather Humphreys. Ta. Ta. 93. Neil. 63. There were three abstentions. 100 years ago, the first Doyle was also obliged to leave its normal chamber in order to be able to meet in full session. The minutes of that meeting show that in the face of dramatic events and repression, they continue their work of building Irish democracy. To be elected to serve as Taoiseach of a free republic is one of the greatest honours which anyone can receive. I want to thank the deputies of my party for their support, and also those of Fine Gael and the Green Party, as well as those independent deputies who voted for me. Most of all, I want to thank my family and my community. Without them, I could have achieved nothing. This is a historic occasion. Uh, I believe civil war politics ended a long time ago in our country, but today civil war politics ends in our parliament. Two great parties, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, coming together with another great party, the Green Party, to offer what this country needs, a stable government for the betterment of our country and for the betterment of our world. I believe he must have taken some tips from Matt Damon when he was here during the lockdown. As Leo, our current Taoiseach, has woken up akin to Jason Byrne with no actual memory of what he said about Fianna Fáil or Michal Martin four years ago or indeed numerous times over the last ten years. Labour's Alan Kelly summing up the mood from the opposition as they watched this historic deal come together. But it would be a baptism of fire for Micheál Martin and the new government. He didn't know it then, but the first months of his time as Taoiseach would see crisis after crisis and a slew of embarrassing own goals, which we'll relive after this. Welcome back to the 2020 Year in Review here on News Talk. I'm Sean Defoe and a reminder that you can catch the first half of our look back on 2020 on Newstalk.com or wherever it is that you get your podcast. But we are picking up this episode at the end of June. Micheál Martin had just been elected Taoiseach but didn't even get a single day before he was beset by criticism from within his own party over his cabinet appointments. First time TD Norma Foley was elevated to the education brief while Stephen Donnelly, viewed by some in the party as not being a true Fianna Fáiler was made health minister. The Taoiseach came under particular criticism for snubbing his deputy party leader Dara Kaliri, who was made chief whip rather than a senior minister and who spoke to Tommy Maron of Midwest Radio. I'm not going to go into what was a very private and incredibly difficult conversation. Uh, I understand from media I was the last person. I wasn't um, monitoring his diary. And, uh, you know, the what he said to me was that the chief whip's role is going to be incredibly difficult in a three-party government. Um, and he wanted me, 
he'd identified me as the person with the skills and the abilities uh, to do that, to uh, work with the three parties to ensure we implement the programme for government. And uh, that he was particularly confident that I would be able uh, to do that. And, um, you know, he, he was particularly focused on me taking this job. There weren't any other jobs on the table offered to me. Um, so it's really uh, academic, whether I was last in or first in. OK, but did you tell him you were disappointed? We had a very difficult conversation. And uh, I did. I told him I was disappointed. I had hoped to uh, lead a department that's always been in my nation. And Tommy Marin, I can tell you that is still my ambition today. And it will happen. It will absolutely happen. The snub and the lack of a minister across the Western Seaboard led to a scathing editorial in the Western People, which read, The new cabinet is the ultimate and final betrayal of the people of the West, of the people of rural Ireland, the people who get up early and go to bed late just to keep the lights on in towns and villages, buffeted by one economic storm after another since the turn of the millennium. This weekend in the National Convention Centre in Dublin, the triumvirate of Micheál Martin, Leo Varadkar and Eamon Ryan unveiled a cabinet that all Oliver Cromwell would have been proud to call his own, to hell or to Connacht indeed. And it was this lack of regional balance that Gavin Riley brought up with the newly minted Agriculture Minister Barry Cowan on On the Record the day after the Taoiseach was elected. Uh, final question for you, Barry. If you start uh, here inside the M50 and you work your way eastward, aside from the, the four ministers that are in Cork and Kerry, when you get to Clara and your home base, there are no further ministers anywhere more westerly than you. What does that say about about the future of rural Ireland when there are so few ministers from rural areas and in fact nowhere on the Atlantic coast the whole way down from Donegal down as far as Tralee commands a cabinet ministry. The completion of different roles uh, and positions within government will, is not yet a complete picture and until such time as that is the case it's only then that those afforded the privilege of responsibility will meet and decide upon a strategy that can ensure that the, no region in Ireland is left behind. But, but no, the junior ministerial appointments from, from that Barry Cowan spoke about also failed to appease. Willie O'Dea saying he was bitterly disappointed at Limerick City being snubbed and former Fianna Fáil whip Michael Moynihan taking to C103 in Cork with Patricia Messenger to say he was insulted at being overlooked. Well, it was a full and frank discussion. And let's say, Patricia, he got it bought bottles. Did he apologise? We had a very fraught discussion. I I explained a few home truths to him very clearly. He corrected some other issues that were there, but it was a very frank discussion. I will be a thorn on the side of the government. You know, there's a lot of issues. The Fianna Fáil Manifesto committed funding for the air ambulance. I am going to hold them to that. Just when he looked to have survived the mutiny, the Taoiseach had to face controversy around one of his ministers. Details emerged of a drink-driving ban Agriculture Minister Barry Cowan had picked up while on a provisional licence, and he tried to draw a line under the issue with a dull statement. My decision in September 2016 to drive home after consuming any alcohol was a stupid, stupid mistake. It never happened before the 18th of September 2016, and it has never happened since. It is a mistake for which I am profoundly sorry. Now, formally, on the record of this House, I sincerely, as I said earlier, want to apologise to my peers and my colleagues. It is a source of deep regret that my actions have reflected poorly on the work 
of elected representatives and on my party. But further allegations emerged that Minister Cowan had tried to evade Gardaí at the checkpoint where he was stopped, something the minister strongly denied. He showed Micheál Martin the Garda record and said he wouldn't make any further comment under legal advice. When the Taoiseach asked him to take questions in the Dáil and Minister Cowan refused, Micheál Martin sacked him. Cúl, I wish to announce for the information of the Dáil uh, that the President, on my advice this evening, terminated the appointment of Deputy Barry Cowan as a member of the government. It is my view that Minister Cowan had an obligation to come before the House. It's also my view that this issue is damaging to the ongoing work of government. He would be replaced by the heretofore snubbed Dara Kaliri, at which point some Fianna Fáil members in Mayo said the Taoiseach was once again welcome in the county again. But Fianna Fáil wasn't the only party under pressure, with the Greens literally wondering if Eamon Ryan was asleep at the wheel. Mr Joe O'Brien. Oh. Mr Roderick O'Gorman. Oh. Minister Eamon Ryan. Minister Eamon Ryan. Uh, Eamon. <laughs> Minister Oshin Smith. Oh. And he wasn't the only TD to fall asleep in the comfortable seats of the convention centre either. The government rumbled through more crises, poor and mixed messaging over COVID restrictions. Playing sports is an inherently risky thing to do, you know? Um, our children being on trampolines is an inherently risky thing for them to be But are we comparing that, doing. Minister, to a global pandemic, to a virus that kills people? It's not the same as playing sports, really, is it? You no, know, well, driving cars. People die in the roads. Lots of people die in the roads. Giving junior ministers pay rises, hiring ever-increasing numbers of advisers and a U-turn on planned changes to the pandemic unemployment payments that would have changed eligibility. But all of those would pale in comparison to the storm that kicked off when the Irish Examiner broke a story about a dinner in Galway in August. The Agriculture Minister, Dara Kaliri, is expected to resign this morning. He apologised last night for going to a golf event attended by 80 people that broke COVID-19 guidelines. The, the Taoiseach has accepted his resignation and says it was an error in judgment. Speaking to Midwest Radio, Dara Kaliri says he didn't expect over 80 people to be there. We were told that it was done in accordance with, um, with the guidelines that they had got. The tables were very well spaced out. Um, you know, the room was very well spaced out. There were two rooms effectively. Certainly, I didn't expect there to be 80. At the end of the day, I should have had the uh, cop on not to have gone. Finnegal Senator Jerry Buttermer, he also attended the event. He has stepped down as last Cahorlock of the Shannad. And other guests at the event included the EU Commissioner Phil Hogan, Fianna Fáil Senator Paul Daly, Independent TD Noel Grealish, Supreme Court Judge Seamus Wolfe, and former RT broadcaster Sean O'Rourke. This government and whether you think they're hard done by or not, in the public's mind, are managing to kick themselves in the arse with both feet every single day. They're stumbling every from single cock day. up to cock up. Absolutely. Cock ups of their own making most of them. That is the perception that's out there and perception is reality. Deborah from Meath summed up the mood of the nation when she phoned in to Lunchtime Live. That the deputy leader, the deputy leader of Fianna Fáil, of the government party, went to this spoke and then came out with an absolutely pathetic statement. It, it, it actually beggared belief last night. Like on Tuesday, this man sat in the cabinet for three hours to impose restrictions on people's livelihoods, people's health and well-being. And then 
on Wednesday he goes on with Pat to defend it and tells us that we'll just have to get used to this for the next 12 months. He, he actually said to Pat that, you know, he, he'll be on throughout the next 12 months and Pat will be challenging him. Well, that's the end of that now and it serves him right. And then he went to this thing and I think it's just such a, 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 a an absolute kick to people who have been put through so much. I mean, people have done funerals on Zoom. This is, what we have been put through has been despicable. And I actually think, I'm asking myself this morning, what was the three months for? What, what did we all put ourselves through? For my dad's in a nursing home. He's terrified he's going to get this. He's terrified the numbers are going back up. What, what, what was it for? Because Micheál Martin... And he's the one, the, the story is really about him, I think. Because number one, there seems to be, he seems to have no control over this government. It's a shambles of a government. It's 10 o'clock, good morning. A government minister has called on Phil Hogan to resign following the controversy over the Galway Golf Dinner. A spokesperson for the European Trade Commissioner says he has provided a detailed report about his movements to the Commission. Phil Hogan was cautioned by Gardaí for using his mobile phone while driving in Kildare last week after stopping off in the county under lockdown on his way to Galway. Mr Hogan has since apologised for his attendance. Housing Minister Dara O'Brien told News Talk Commissioner Hogan doesn't get the level of public anger. Then we get details of uh, trips to Kildare, stop off in Kildare. You know, we don't know the full details of it. Uh, the Taoiseach and Thomas have been pretty clear. Uh, they've asked him to consider his position. He should. Let me be very clear. I made a mistake by going to that event. I am embarrassed about it. When I see all of the various tragedies around the country arising from COVID regulations, I know I should not have been there. I've apologised for that profusely. I think of all the people that have suffered bereavement. I think of the frontline workers. And a gathering of that nature was not appropriate in this time. There is no excuse for this. The government has made its position clear in terms of the breach of the guidelines that, that happened and that the commissioner was responsible for. The commissioner hung on in for almost a week. Phil Hogan says his decision to quit as EU Trade Commissioner was his own and deeply regrets causing such concern, unease and upset. The government believes Mr Hogan had chosen the correct course of action after the Golfgate scandal. The Golfgate dinner not only caused a storm in political circles, but an unprecedented crisis in the highest court in the land. Mr Justice Seamus Wolfe has agreed to a three-month suspension without pay from the Supreme Court. The reprimand was accepted by the judge after he attended the controversial Golf Society dinner in August. Correspondence released last night shows he refused to step down, despite being asked to do so by the Chief Justice. Former Minister Shane Ross says the issue highlights the need. Here is completely utterly unprecedented that the judges should be at war with each other in, mm. in this in this very very public way, and that's 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 what's happening. What what should happen here, I suppose, is that Seamus Wolfe should resign because he should be held to the same standards. He's not going to. He's, that's that's pretty clear, work. isn't it? But he shouldn't resign because Frank Clark tells him to, because Frank Clark wants basically to get rid of this problem. He should resign because he should be held to the same standards okay. as the politicians were. But he didn't, and you'd have to say it doesn't look like his mind is going to change. Coming up next, we relive the US election as we round out News Talk's 2020 Review of the Year. Welcome back to News Talk's review of 2020 with myself, Sean Defoe. While it has been a turbulent year across the globe, few countries have had as much upheaval as the United States. Not only an election year, but one in which racial injustice took centre stage. On May 25th, 2020, George Floyd, a 46-year-old black man, died after a white police officer holding his knee on Floyd's neck, pinned him to the pavement 
while he was in handcuffs. In the days that followed, public outrage grew over what some protesters and lawmakers said is another case of police brutality against a black man. He starts saying, I can't breathe numerous times. WCCO reporter Jennifer Merrily, who saw the video, says that when officers tried to get Floyd into a squad car, the situation really deteriorated. It's where Floyd starts adamantly saying that he is claustrophobic, that he doesn't want to get in there. He's asking the officers to stay with them, to roll the window down. The situation here in Santa Monica, California, is very fluid. You can see police here now firing tear gas into the crowd. They are trying to push these folks back. How long can you be peaceful when your people are dying? We can't peacefully protest in the streets without getting tear gas thrown at us for what? People are forced to protest um, police violence that's disproportionately killing black people in the midst of a pandemic that's also disproportionately killing black people. The protests were not only sparked by the death of George Floyd, but the killings of many other black people in the US, including Breonna Taylor, becoming a touchstone issue in the election, particularly for vice presidential hopeful Kamala Harris. Look, and I'm a, I'm a former career prosecutor. I know what I'm talking about. Bad cops are bad for good cops. We need reform of our policing in America and our criminal justice system, which is why Joe and I will immediately ban chokeholds and carotid holes. George Floyd would be alive today if we did that. Debates, though, between Donald Trump and Joe Biden were less productive when it came to actually getting answers. I'm not going to answer the question Why because, would you that because question? the you question want to put is a lot of the new question Supreme is Court justice, the radical question, left. Will you shut who is up, your, man? Listen, who is on your list, Joe? However, much of the campaign was suspended when the US president himself caught COVID. He thankfully didn't follow through his thoughts on a treatment from earlier in the year. Right, and then I see the disinfectant where it knocks it out in a minute, one minute. And is there a way we can do something like that uh, by injection inside or, or almost a cleaning? Because you see it gets on the lungs and it there's a tremendous number of the lungs, so it'd be interesting to check that. So that you're going to have to use medical doctors with. But it sounds, it sounds interesting to me. And Donald Trump did return to work sooner than expected. Walking out the doors of Walter Reed, boarding Marine One for his flight back to the White House, where he marched up the steps. And then the president, who is still contagious, did something remarkable. He took off his mask, and the president, who is supposed to be in isolation, then walked inside to a room full of people. The strangest presidential election day in living memory rolled around with a record 70 million Americans casting early ballots. And what felt like half of Ireland either stayed up late or woke early in the morning to tune into CNN's John King and his magic board. The Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. So he has to, has to, has to. He has to win more than Pennsylvania. Uh, but he can, you know, once you get that 20, your math gets better. Without that 20, you just don't have a path. So you come back to Joe Biden, who is at 253. Again, if by the end of the day we can say that, Joe Biden is president, no matter how the rest of them end up. So t Pennsylvania with 20 is the biggest prize still on the board. If Biden gets it, game over, and then he's counting up from there. If the president does not win Pennsylvania, he's done. It's an absolute essential state for him as we watch that lead shrink. As election night wore on and postal counting caught up with other ballots, it became clear it was advantage Biden, but Donald Trump vowed to fight it. To me, this is a very sad moment. and. We will win this, and we, as far as I'm concerned, we already have won it. It's not my place or Donald Trump's place to declare who's won this election. That's the decision of the American people. This is a major fraud in our nation. So we'll be going to the U.S. Supreme Court. 
We want all voting to stop. We're going to have to be patient. And it ain't over till every vote is counted. Every ballot is counted. After flipping the blue wall of Michigan, Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, Biden had the numbers, also adding Arizona to his tally. Despite numerous challenges from Donald Trump, Joe Biden has been confirmed as president-elect, with Kamala Harris set to become the first woman of color to be vice president. We did it. We did it, Joe. You're going to be the next president of the United States. Twenty twenty has been a year that saw far too many people lose a loved one. But aside from COVID, quite a number of famous faces have also left us this year. January saw the deaths of two broadcasting legends, Marion Finucan and Larry Gogan. Here some thirteen thousand women are talking, arguing and exchanging information about women's issues. Old women don't feature on television. In ads, old women I heard somebody saying during the week, old women only feature when they have headaches. I always wanted to be on radio, I always wanted to be a DJ because uh, I listened to Radio Luxembourg and uh, I used to think, that's a great job those fellas have. And you're all set to go. Now I'm sorry I rang. (laughs) Yeah, don't be silly, it's only a bit of fun. You scored one, that just didn't suit you today. Where's the Great Wall, Crumlin? Where's the, uh, where's the Taj Mahal opposite the dental hospital? <laughs> this year also, in January and August respectively, saw the loss of two pillars of the peace process. The former deputy leader of the SDLP and former deputy first minister in the north, Seamus Mallon, has died at the age of 83. The former SDLP leader, Mark Durkin, has paid tribute to his former party colleague. He reached out in the talks. You know, Seamus was the one who probably spent more time talking to the loyalists and then many of the rest of us, partly because he was going out for a smoke with them. He had a different level uh, of rapport and uh, engagement. Nobel Peace Laureate and former SDLP leader John Hume has been called a hero, a political titan and a visionary who worked for peace on the island. The principal architect of the peace process died this morning at the age of 83. You have said repeatedly that you will not speak to people who are ambiguous on violence. I did not say that. I have said repeatedly that I will speak to anyone if I believe that talking to them will make uh, a contribution to peace and stability on on our island. The entertainment industry too lost its share of stars. It is still stunning to say the words that Kobe Bryant, the legendary NBA star, is dead tonight. His adorable 13-year-old daughter Gianna, known as Gigi, also dead tonight. Seven other people, a, a baseball coach, a pilot, all dead. The helicopter they were traveling in crashed outside of Los Angeles. No word yet on why it crashed. We've laughed with you, we've cried with you, but most of all, we've fallen in love with you. Caroline Flack was synonymous with ITV's hit reality show Love Island. As its host for five series, she became one of the most popular personalities on TV. But the 40-year-old was today found dead at her home in East London. Her family's lawyer has confirmed that she took her own life. Iconic Bond star Sean Connery passed away at the age of 90. I admire your luck, Mr... Bond. James Bond. And former Ireland manager Jack Charlton died aged 85. And then somebody came and said to me, would you come out back on the pitch? I said, what for? He said, the crowd won't go home. I, I just remember, I just cried. I, you know, it was, it was time for me to leave. I've been there for 10 years and it was time for me to leave. And, uh, and I did.
Those, along with singer Kenny Rogers, Black Panther actor Chadwick Boseman, comedian Terry Jones of Monty Python fame, and Avengers, Bond and Game of Thrones star Dame Diana Rigg, all among the famous faces who left us in 2020. You are listening to the review of the news year of 2020 on News Talk with myself, Sean Defoe. While Britain left the European Union in January, Brexit was never going to be simple. Talks on a trade deal were interrupted by COVID and amid all the brinksmanship as everyone was marched up the hill of a no-deal scenario, a strange debate emerged around fisheries. In December, Foreign Affairs Minister Simon Coveney appeared on the Pat Kenny Show to talk about the nationality of fish. The UK will control their own waters. Um... We know that. Um, that's not the issue here. Um, it, the truth also is that fish swim between sovereign territories. You know, all the fish that are caught in British waters aren't British fish, you know, um, labelled British. I mean, the truth is that most of the mackerel that are caught off the west coast of Scotland, which is a big mackerel fishery, very, very important for, for Irish uh, interests, like most of those fish are actually born off the the coast of West Cork and Clare, uh, and uh, and then mature as they swim past Galway uh, and mature again to become juveniles and young adults off the west coast of Donegal, where some of them are caught, but they become full adults when they enter into Scottish waters, which so is are, why are we accu- that's where are, we, are we saying them. that they're Irish fish? Then? No, we're entitled to catch no, them. No, what we're saying is this is a shared stock and a shared resource that we need to manage in a way that's sustainable for the stock and for the fish industry. It is um, uh, for for people who are following Brexit, it's a it's it's in some ways a more real issue. You know, how many fish can we catch now? Oh, it's, 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 versus, it's deliberately versus, done because yeah. it's a touchstone that they can go yeah. on. Never it's mind a, the never mind the fish, Simon Coveney. We're now talking about the ships because I've been mean, listening to the radio is anxiety inducing at the best of times. And there I was listening to news talk this morning now uh, that that our chips are at risk because apparently yeah. Irish spuds aren't great for chips. We have to bring them in. If there's a deal, will that not be an issue? Um, and or is there going to be a, a, a it's going to be challenge? an issue either way? Is I, okay. I think yeah. Um, and now I mean I think we can put agreements in place in the future in terms of veterinary agreements and so on that can limit the restrictions uh, that are currently there around some food products coming into the EU single market from what are called third countries, which will be what the UK will be uh, in the future. So I hope you enjoyed the last lot of chipper chips that you had. Sorry to break the bad news. But no matter what way you cut up a review of 2020, it is always going to be impossible to escape COVID. That's just life at the moment. And we could focus on the negativities because Lord knows there has been enough of them. But in November, we got our first real sight of the end of the tunnel with the announcement of the first vaccine from Pfizer. And leading immunologist Luke O'Neill joined Pat Kenny to run the rule over the day after the announcement. Well, let's start, but it's remarkable. I mean, the statements they made yesterday were very, very bold. I think you and I were on air when it broke, you know. I mean, the CEO is saying a great day for humanity. You know, the head of research has said it's extraordinary. You don't normally get companies making those kind of claims. The issue, Pat, is it's a press release. And that makes us slightly cautious because us scientists love to see the data, you know, and there's a clamor now from all the scientists, show us the data. But they wouldn't have announced it, Pat, unless there must be something remarkable here because there'd be a big egg on the face of the CEO. You can imagine it unraveled in the next couple of weeks. Now, we knew it was coming. Yeah, I mean, it's come slightly early. We thought maybe 
late November possibly was the timing, you know. But now it looks as if that vaccine trial has worked. And, and the most remarkable thing, Pat, is this 90% number we keep reading about. I mean, that's remarkable in a vaccine, you know. I mean, the flu vaccine that we get every winter is sort of 60% efficacious, you see. So if, 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 it, if it holds up, Pat, this, this is a great result, really. You know? uh, we're talking about 50 million doses by the end of 2020. And I note that John Bell Regis, professor of medicine at Oxford University, he's involved with their own uh, vaccine. Uh, he talked about the amazing level of efficacy and he said to the BBC I'm the first guy to say it but I will say it with some confidence that we could be you know returning to normality by spring is that a bit overblown no, I mean, what's happening now, the fact that this vaccine has worked, Pat, bodes very well for the other vaccines, you see. So we're probably going to get a situation where before Christmas, two more announcements we're hoping for. The AstraZeneca vaccine, that's the one John Bell will be involved in, and also the Moderna vaccine. They will report in the coming weeks as well. And the fact that the Pfizer one has worked so well, there's a reasonable chance these next two will work similarly, you know. And that means before Christmas, Pat, there are three highly efficacious vaccines provided, as I say, with all the, the caveats as usual. Now, that means the Supply won't be an issue because they can all roll out billions of doses as we go into 2021, you see. And then secondly, as we discussed, Pfizer had already mobilized an army to prepare 1.4 billion doses of this vaccine, you see. So, so in other words, they're ramping up production massively. And the CEO was on record as well about two weeks ago saying, there's no point in making a vaccine unless we can roll it out quickly, you see. So they're very well aware of the need to get it to people as quickly as possible. So it's not unreasonable to assume by the middle of next year, you'd have to say probably, you know, widespread rollout, you know. So some sense of normality by the middle of next year now does look like a very real possibility. We've all had events this year, things we would have loved to have been at and really hope we can get back to in 2021. But for kids, it's been particularly tough. They've had to sacrifice a lot. They've had to put up with a lot. And one of the biggest losses that you might not immediately think about was actually Halloween and trick-or-treating. And around the time, our Henry McKean had what is definitely my favourite Vox Pop of 2020 with the children from O'Connell Primary School in Dublin. Just come on, let us trick or treat. It's really what we want to do. Like everyone here wants to do trick or treat because yeah. it's it's not even fair on the, on all the other kids that have their costumes done since like September. Because then their mom's had to return and then on other days. I really like trick or treating because like you get to go out and you get sweets and you can trick or treat with all your friends. We can't do it this year. The government's advising, but I really hope we can do it next year if. Um, the virus stops. Trick or treating should go on this year because we could put on a mask maybe, get them to put on gloves so, so we can take some out. Will you miss the sweets? Yeah. Knocking on doors are, are the best thing and then you just get free sweets. What sort of things will you get up to if you can't trick or treat, if there's no bonfires, if there's no organised firework displays, what will you get up to? Talking to me family and playing with me baby brothers. So how many baby brothers do you have? Two. Are they twins? Yes. I just want Halloween back. I really think that the government should let us um, do trick-or-treating because I feel like they don't know what they're doing. They literally don't know what they're doing with the country. So I think if you're listening, you, sh- you should step up the country now because we should be allowed like go trick-or-treating. We're allowed to go into shops and schools. Why can we not do trick-or-treating with masks and social distance? It's disgraceful if you ask me. So you want the government to step up yeah, and you I want- feel they don't know what they're doing? Yeah. They don't know what they're doing. Ever since me, whole man came into government, he doesn't know what he's doing. Now, that's my honest opinion. If you ask me, he looks like Granny with no teeth. I'm going to be dressing up as Luigi with me little cousin. At least my dad didn't have to pay for it because I had my communion money, all sorts. 
I'm telling you, the children at O'Connell Primary School, they are better talkers than half of us here at News Talk. They put the rest of us to shame. But unfortunately, that is all we have time for on this second episode of News Talk's Look Back on 2020. It's a sign of the year that there was plenty more we could have included, talked about or gone a bit more in depth on. But quite frankly, you'd need a 10-part rolling series just to scratch the surface of this pretty crazy year. It's been very strange. Let us never speak of it again. I've been Sean Defoe. Thanks a million for listening. You can catch up online on the two episodes. Stay safe and have a very happy new year. Has your fuse box gone haywire? Is your water pressure too weak? Or maybe your boiler needs an upgrade. They don't last forever, you know. Well, the good news is that there's a local hero in Dublin for that. So if a block sink is not helping with Wednesday's hump day, take the hassle out of it with localheroes.ie. Our online service connects you with trusted tradespeople in your area and all work comes with a 12-month guarantee backed by Borgosh Energy. Try it out while listening to your podcast. You could get a quote in minutes at localheroes.ie. DNCs apply. Visit localheroes.ie for full details.